You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. You know, a lot of people think of missionaries, they think, man, these people, they got, you know, they got green skin and they got antennae coming out the back. They're really weird. Uh, No, they're just people who love God and they've heard the call of God and said yes to it. And we love them. And I I love this church because you you love them too. And that's really exciting that uh, you got that kind of heart for people around the world needing the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you would, please turn your Bibles to Genesis Genesis chapter 18. I want to preach a message on God's love for the lost. Genesis chapter 18. We will begin reading in verse 17 of Genesis chapter 18. And the scripture says, And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, And all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. And the Lord said, because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous... I will go down now and see whether they have done all together according to the cry of it which is come unto me, and if not, I will know. And the men turned their faces from thence and went toward Sodom, but Abraham stood yet before the Lord. And Abraham drew near and said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Peradventure there be fifty righteous within the city. Wilt thou also destroy and not spare the place for the fifty righteous that are therein? That be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked. That be far from thee. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And the Lord said, If I find in Sodom fifty righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. And Abraham answered and said, Behold, now I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, which am but dust and ashes. Peradventure there shall lack five of the fifty righteous. Will thou destroy all the city for the lack of five? And he said, If I find there forty and five, I will not destroy it. And he spake unto him yet again and said, Peradventure there shall be forty found there. And he said, I will not do it for forty's sake. And he said unto him, O let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Peradventure there shall thirty be found there. And he said, I will not do it if I find thirty there. And he said, Behold now, I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord. Peradventure there shall be twenty found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for twenty's sake. And he said, O let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak yet but this once. Peradventure ten shall be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for ten's sake. And the Lord went his way as soon as he had left communing with Abraham, and Abraham returned unto his place. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. And God, I thank you for the privilege that I've had this week to speak to these dear folks. 
I thank you for the missionaries that I've gotten to meet, some that I knew, some that I have met for the first time, and they've stirred my heart with their love for you and their love for souls. God, and I pray that you'd meet with us especially tonight. Help us to understand that you do hear our prayers, and our prayers do matter. In this matter of souls that need the Savior, please, Lord, do a work in our lives, and Father, we'll thank you for all you do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, obviously, the biblical story of Sodom and Gomorrah is one that is well known. At those wicked cities that God would destroy in a terrible way. But you know, they're a testimony to the holiness of God. These cities are a testimony to the wrath of God. They are a testimony to the judgment of God. But they're also a testimony to the love of God. And they are a testimony to the mercy of God. They are a testimony of the long-suffering of God. They are a testimony of the grace of God. And they're also a testimony of the fact that God answers prayer. As a matter of fact, I think we could title this message this way. How one man's prayer saved a city and another man's life lost it. I want you to think about that as we go through the message. Now, before I get into the message, I want to give you just some observations from just reading through the passage. Number one, God knows all of our sins and all of our righteousnesses. He knows us. I mean, God knows all those things that nobody else knows about us. Things our mates do not know about us, our children do not know about us, our pastor does not know about us. He knows everything. We can't hide anything from him. In Revelation chapter 2 and 3, when Jesus speaks to the seven churches of Asia Minor, to each of those churches, he says, I know thy works. And we found in the very first letter to the church at Ephesus, he knew more than just their works. He bragged on them. It seemed like they were doing everything right. That's the kind of church it would seem in looking at all that they did that every one of us would want to be a member of. And yet he says, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. You have left your first love. You see, he doesn't only see our works. He sees our hearts. He knows where you're at. He knows where you're really at when it comes to go bus visiting, when it comes door knocking time. He knows where you're really at when it comes to reading the Bible. He knows exactly what your prayer life is like. He knows everything. Not only that, I see in this story that God is long-suffering, and thank God for that, or we'd all be destroyed. I remind you that way back in Genesis chapter 13, when Abraham gave Lot the choice, whichever way he would go, Abraham would go the other way, and the Bible says that Lot turned his tent toward Sodom. And the Bible says, and the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners exceedingly. Now that's way back in Genesis chapter 13. And yet you get to Genesis chapter 18 and they're still around. Why? Because God is long-suffering. And there are a number of verses in the scripture that teach that. Exodus 34, 6 declares, And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and in truth. Numbers 34, 18, The Lord is long-suffering and of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, and by no means clearing the guilty. 
in Psalm 86 and verse 15. But thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion, gracious, long-suffering. Thank God that he is, or I would have been destroyed a long time ago. But there's another observation I make. As I read the story, I wonder why did God tell Abraham what he was going to do? Now, I know in verse uh, 19, he says of Abraham, for I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. He's about to share with Abraham something of great importance that would have an impact on Abraham because, after all, Lot was living in Sodom and Gomorrah by that time. And he shares it with him because here was a man who had kept his home right. Even when Lot had moved to the wrong place, Abraham did not get discouraged and say, well, what's the use in trying to have a godly home? He still had a godly home. But I believe there's even more to it in that when we see what he did. I believe that God told Abraham because he knew he could count on Abraham to pray. You know, the Bible says you have not because you ask not. It's amazing how many things we don't take time to ask because we don't think he'll give it. And yet the Bible tells us without faith it is impossible to please him for he that cometh to God must believe that he is. And that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. We have a God who longs to hear us pray. Now, he's teaching us something about himself. God's teaching us something about prayer. God's teaching us something about the possibility of the impact that we can have on a world, on our country, on our state, on our county, and on our city simply by going to our knees. And that's very important. I want you to notice some things about this because what Abraham gained in prayer, Lot lost by self-indulgence. First of all, I look at the passage and I see Abraham's premise. If you look at verse 23, it's interesting. It says, And Abraham drew near and said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? And then in verse 25, that be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked, and be far, that be far from thee. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Now, Abraham had this feeling about God. Understand, Abraham didn't have a Bible yet. The book of Genesis had not been written yet. I mean, that was written by Moses. So was Exodus. It, it, it's, he doesn't have anything to read. He doesn't have a New Testament to read. I don't know how he got all this understanding about God that he did, but I want you to notice he didn't have Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 15 that says, were they ashamed when they had committed an abomination? Nay, they were not at all ashamed, neither could they blush. Therefore, they shall fall among them that fall. At the time that I shall visit them, they shall be cast down, saith the Lord. He didn't have 1 Peter 4, 17 that says judgment must first begin at the house of God. Oh, listen, there are times that the righteous do suffer because of God's judgment upon the wicked when the righteous have not been what they were supposed to be. But Abraham doesn't have those verses. He has followed the Lord. God told him to move out of Ur of the Chaldees, and he did it. 
and he followed God's leading, but there were still some things he did not understand. And this is important in this passage, that he had this idea that since God is God and he is righteous, he would not destroy the righteous with the wicked. As a matter of fact, as we read through that whole prayer of Abraham, not one time did he pray for Lot. He believed Lot was coming out of there alive. Regardless of what God did, because God in his eyes would only do right, and God only does right. Amen. But because of his idea about that, he figured Lot would have to come through alive. He's not praying for Lot. He might be praying because of Lot, but he's not praying for Lot. He's praying for the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. And God hears his prayer. This is amazing. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, perhaps Abraham didn't know how far Lot had fallen. You read the story of Lot, and I'm sorry, if we didn't have the New Testament to tell us so, there is none of us that would believe Lot was a saved man. But I want you to turn over there to 2 Peter chapter 2 and see what the Lord himself says about it. There is a difference between being saved, being justified by God, and living righteous. He didn't do that. As a matter of fact, his whole family seemed to follow the way of the people of Sodom and Gomorrah where they were living. But in 2 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 7, the scripture says this, well, verse 6, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an ensample unto those that after should live ungodly, and deliver just Lot. Now, that doesn't mean only Lot. He's talking about just Lot, like Jesus is called just in the book of Acts. Here, just Lot. He's been justified. This man was saved. He did get something from Abraham's home when he was living in it. Evidently, he came to know the God of Abraham. And so he delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the world, for that righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing, look at this, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. Thank God, God knows how to deliver his people. The only thing Lot had going for him was that he was saved. Justified in the eyes of God. In chapter 13, he pitches his tent towards Sodom. You get to chapter 19, and he's living there. As a matter of fact, we find him in the story in chapter 19. He's even sitting in the gates. And he's not only sitting in the gates, but he's calling the other citizens there brethren. You remember the reason that he separated from Abraham was he got in a fight with Abraham. He actually ends up treating the people of Sodom better than he treated his uncle Abraham. And he owed an awful lot to Abraham as well. In Psalm 1, the Bible says, beginning in Psalm 1 and verse 1, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. You better watch who you run with. You run with the wrong crowd, it won't be long, and you'll be the wrong crowd yourself. Now, you may be saved, and you may be going to heaven, but there are consequences. For not walking with God. 
seems today that the churches are trying to get the church like the world in order to reach the world, and that's not how it's done. We are a peculiar people. We are a chosen generation. We sing a new song. We worship a holy God who hates sin. Here's Abraham. He's praying. So why did God tell Abraham about the destruction? He wanted Abraham to pray. But that leads me then to God's passion. We see Abraham's present, uh, premise, but here's God's passion. God's passion is, if you look in verse 20, and the Lord said, because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done all together according to the cry of it. Obviously, the Lord knew that they had. But understand this. God's passion is this. He is not in a hurry to send people to hell. He's not in a hurry for judgment. When wicked Nineveh was only going to last 40 more days, God called Jonah a backslidden prophet to go and tell them that in 40 days they'd be destroyed. God was not sending Jonah there so to be cruel to these people in their last 40 days of life. He sent them there because he did not want to destroy them. Did they deserve being destroyed? Yes, they did. But God wanted to save them, so he gave them another opportunity to hear that they had sinned against the holy God and get right with him. Now, of course, you got the backslidden preacher. He goes up there. He's delighted. He's delighted about the fact they're going to be destroyed. Do you notice that Jonah never even told them how to get right? He just said, basically, hey, 40 days, you're going to be destroyed. I'm glad. Now, how do you know that, preacher? Because he was mad when God didn't destroy him. He was mad when they got right with God. The reason he didn't want to go, he was afraid that if he preached to them that they'd get right with God, then they wouldn't be destroyed. He is upset about it. Now, think about this, preacher. The preacher in the Bible with the worst attitude had the biggest revival. Nobody else had an impact, apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, nobody else had an impact on hundreds of thousands of people like Jonah. But that's for another message. When Israel was in wicked sin, God pronounced judgment in Ezekiel 14, 13, 14, and 20. Jeremiah was in the land preaching judgment to Israel because they had sinned against God. Meanwhile, Ezekiel, who had been taken off into captivity... And he's preaching judgment to the people back at Jerusalem. He's basically telling the Jews that were in Babylon, you know, God has saved Israel many times, and God has saved Jerusalem many times. He's not pulling their fat out of the fire this time. This time, the city's going down. That was Ezekiel's message. In Ezekiel twenty-two thirty, the scripture says, And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Israel deserved the judgment they did, but God was looking for someone, someone that would make up the hedge. And some of the saddest words in scripture, but I found none. In Exodus 32, while Moses is up on the mountain for 40 days, communing with God, getting the Ten Commandments, all of that, 
Abraham is down in the valley with the people listening to their new ideas about worship. And he makes two calves. And out of those calves, what he does, he calls them Jehovah and says, tomorrow we're having a feast of Jehovah. And while Moses is up on the mount communing with God, God's wrath suddenly showed itself. And God said, I'm going to destroy all those people down there. And I'll make of thee a great nation. Had it not been for Moses' prayer to God, we'd be calling them Moses today and not Israel. Why did he tell Moses? He wanted Moses to pray. God wanted to keep his promises. God is not in a hurry to judge people. The scripture says, uh, we look around us and we get so disgusted with our society. We get so disgusted with the things that are going on. Our country's gotten so ridiculous that it seems like men are winning all the contests of the women. It seems like the best women in this country, according to them, are men. That doesn't even make sense. But that's where we're at today because we don't know our right hand from the left. We're like the people of Nineveh. Bible does teach God is angry with the wicked every day, Psalm 7 and verse 11. But it is always anger under control that God's wrath is against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, Romans chapter 1 and verse 18. But it is always wrath under control. Whereas God is merciful and slow to anger, when he looks for a way to spare men, if they don't eventually get right, judgment will fall and it will be severe. You can count on it. The Bible says, He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 1. That's why he says, Behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. God's passion is for people to get right with him. So we saw Abraham's premise. We saw God's passion. That leads us then to Abraham's prayer. Now he starts at 50. God says, I won't destroy it if there are 50 there. God answered his prayer. And he answered it in the affirmative. Well, Lord, what about 45? There are just five left. You won't destroy it for 45. All right, I won't destroy it for 45. He answered his prayer again. So he said, 40, I won't destroy it for 40. God answered his prayer again. And then he said, 30. He said, I won't destroy it for 30. Man, he's praying for two cities, Sodom and Gomorrah. And if he could find 30 righteous, not necessarily godly, but righteous people who've been saved, He'll spare both of those cities because of Abraham's prayer. So Abraham says 20. He says, I won't destroy it for 20. And then he says 10. And God says, I won't destroy it for 10. Literally, literally, his prayer saved the cities. God answered his prayer. And he answered it in the affirmative. It is interesting to me. He never mentioned Lot's name. Why did he never say, spare Lot? Because he felt that Lot was going to come out of it alive. He knew Lot was saved. He knew the teaching that Lot had gotten in his home. And he figured surely, no doubt, Lot would have done the same thing in his own family. He's not praying for Lot. He may be praying because of Lot, but he's not praying for Lot. He's praying for the cities. Ten righteous in a city of thousands. 
Abraham was diligent. He was seeking the Lord, and God rewarded him with a great answer. But understand, this is not Sodom's prayer. This is Abraham's prayer. It's Abraham's prayer for harlots, for sodomites, for drunkards. I mean, it's Abraham's prayer for the worst of society, as many would think. And God's answering his prayer. I was preaching this on a Sunday morning, and we had a young black lady seated about halfway back uh, down the center aisle. First time that she had been there, I figured it was probably some young lady picked up in the bus. Uh, she was a black young lady, and she was sitting back there. Hadn't seen her before. And when I got to this part in the message, boy, her eyes looked up. She came forward when the invitation was given, and she got saved. Oh, this is wonderful. I wondered what high school she went to. Well, she was older than 14. I found out that she was, she was a worker at the strip club just about a mile from our church. But she had heard that the God of heaven wanted to save her too. Amen. See, a lot of times the lost, they don't understand that our God doesn't want to send them to hell. He doesn't want them under judgment. He wants to save them. We ought to be praying for them. We ought to have the heart of Christ for them. We get so wrapped up in their wicked lifestyle, we forget Jesus sees them as people he died for. So Abraham is praying. We find that our prayers can save a country, a state, a county. I do believe 2 Chronicles 7.14 is good for us. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now, I've heard that verse quoted many times. I've heard it misquoted many times. For some reason, there are a lot of people who think it's all about God's people getting together and praying. But there's more to it than that. For he says, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, now get this part, and turn from their wicked ways. Who? My people. Now, my problem with it is this. How are we going to turn from our wicked ways if we don't see our wicked ways as wicked? Why is it that we think God just excuses us because we're saved by grace and that we can live any old way we want to and it's just bound to be okay with God? No, God wants us to turn from our wicked ways. The answer to this nation is not in the White House. It's not in the pornographers getting right with God. It's not in the drug cartels getting right with God. It's God's people getting right with God. That's where it's at. The only way the world can even get through is to turn from their wicked ways. That's God's people. Genesis 19, 29, Abraham's premise, his prayer may have been the only thing that saved Lot. I want you to look at this. In chapter 19, verse 29, it says, And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain, underline that, God remembered Abraham. What did he remember about Abraham? He remembered that Abraham believed that God would not destroy the righteous with the wicked. Will not the God of the whole earth do right? 
Lot comes out of it alive. His sons-in-laws don't. His sons don't. His daughters that were married don't. His wife doesn't. You understand? Why did he come out alive? Isn't it interesting that when Abraham heard that Sodom and Gomorrah would be destroyed, he prays. When Lot hears Sodom and Gomorrah is going to be uh, destroyed, he doesn't pray. Lot had no fear about being destroyed uh, in, in the judgment, and he should have. Lot should have. Abraham was not going to be destroyed. He prayed. He's burdened. He doesn't want to see those cities destroyed. But Lot, who's living there, all he does is go to his family and say, you need to get out of here. And when they don't follow him, he stays. You study the passage in chapter 19. The reason he gets out is the angels take him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, and they brought him out. Why? God remembered Abraham. Not that God remembered Lot. God remembered Abraham. You understand that your prayer for others could be the very thing that's keeping some people alive. There may be some watching over the internet right now. And they maybe finally they'll understand the reason they've not been destroyed yet is because somebody is praying for them. But my spirit will not always strive with man, God says. The time's coming. God only will put it off so long. Christian, are you praying? One man's prayers here save the cities. God said it won't destroy it. But Lot's life lost it because he couldn't even reach his own family. His wife's heart was in Sodom and Gomorrah. We know about those two daughters that came out with him. May have gotten him out of Sodom and Gomorrah, but he didn't get Sodom and Gomorrah out of them. His sons, his sons-in-laws, his married daughters. We don't know if he had any grandchildren or not, but just among those that we know, there should have been 10 saved people there, and they weren't. Because Lot didn't do his job. I wonder how many countries. Matter of fact, I was down in Mexico. We visited a rancherio up in the country, and... Um, there was an, an old, old saint there, loved the Lord, godly lady. She had been praying for years that a missionary would come to her rancho area, rancheria area there. And uh, finally, God, God called a missionary and came. We knew the missionary that went down there. As a matter of fact, we were there when he came into town. The lady came out of her house just rejoicing that God had answered her prayer for her, for her it wasn't a city, it was just a a ranch area, that's all it was. Maybe 150 people in the whole place. They're up in the mountains. It wasn't long, just a few weeks after that, she went on to glory rejoicing that God had answered her prayer for her, for her place. Listen, are you burdened about where you live? Pray! There's a God who wants to answer your prayer. He's looking for someone to make up the hedge. Would you be willing to get a hold of God? Get God moving. Praying for these countries. Perhaps each of these missionaries are going where they're going because somebody prayed that they don't even know. Somebody looked over their city. Somebody looked over their country and began praying. And then they got called to the mission field and God sent them there. 
God answers prayer, praise God. We see Lot's problem. You say, what's Lot's problem? He stopped at 10. That's Lot's problem. Daughter's dead, son's dead, sons-in-law dead. If he'd only reached his family, both cities would have been spared. If Lot just would have reached his family. Now, we know that Lot got it when he was at Abraham's house. God said so here. I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord, to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he's spoken of him. But he failed with his family. And no doubt, he probably gave an excuse like this. Oh, I heard all about God when I was at Uncle Abe's place. I heard all about that. I'm going to let the children just make up their own mind. Well, how's that working for you, Lot? They're now dead. They're in the fire. You've got two harlot daughters left. That's it. That's what they were. Meanwhile, Abraham's house is doing just fine. It's still got the promises of God. They're still protected. They've got the blessings of God. Amazing how many young people are brought up in Christian homes and think they've got it so tough because they can't be like all the other kids. You better thank your stars and your God that he's put you in that place. When all this is over, Lot's family's dead while Abraham has his family intact. Yeah, live without God and see what it does to your children. Feed them all the things of the world. Give them everything everybody else has. And then you'll wonder why when they get away from the house, they want nothing to do with the God that saved you. I know God judged Sodom because of their own wickedness. But they would have been spared for Lot's righteousness if he'd just won his family. And they didn't even, he didn't even have to be godly. They just needed to get them saved. And the whole cities would have been spared. Now I want to share my heart with you here for a second. I've got a verse in the Bible here that really troubles me. I want you to turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Madison, Alabama has everything that you have out here, maybe in different quantities. But Madison County, Huntsville, Alabama, all of North Alabama for that matter, we have the same problems. But you remember Paul started the church at Corinth. He won many of those people to Christ, and he gives testimony of that in the book. Of course, he has to rebuke these people about a number of things, and he does that throughout the book. But you get to chapter 15, and he's been dealing with the subject of the resurrection because some of them had even gone astray. He said, how say some of you that there is no resurrection? That's back earlier on. So he covers the resurrection real clear. And he gets down to verse 34. It is a church that is only three years old. They are the only church in a city of, the historians tell us, had 800,000 people in it. 200,000 of those were free, 600,000 were slaves. And you understand back then, slavery had nothing to do with the color of one's skin. Slavery back then had to do with being conquered by somebody. The Roman Empire had conquered that area and much of that area all around the Mediterranean and the conquered people would be slaves. 
Now, they did appoint some cities to be free cities, like Saul of Tarsus. Tarsus had been made a free city, so its citizens were officially citizens of Rome. But you've got 800,000 in this seaport town. The church is at best four years old, but more than likely three years of age. They don't have cars. They don't have printing presses. They don't have a radio ministry. There's just an awful lot they didn't have. And we know they had a bunch of problems because he deals with that. He says in this verse, Awake to righteousness and sin not. For some have not the knowledge of God. And this last phrase just tears me up. I speak this to your shame. All right, I've lived in Madison, Alabama, Madison County, Alabama, for 34 years. Not, not three years, 34 years. Our church has been there for 40 years. Not three years. Our county is just about half the size of what Corinth was. We've got cars, we've got tracks, we've got thousands of tracks, and we've passed out thousands of tracks. We have our own low-power radio station. We have a visitation program, but may I say that in my county of only 400,000 people, there are many who do not have the knowledge of God. I'm pastor of this church. I consider it a great church. I pastor a great people, wonderful folks. I love them. But this Sunday, we celebrate our 40th anniversary. And in light of what he said to the Corinthians, what does he say to me? We have people in our county who do not have the knowledge of God. Shame on us. We only had the heart of Abraham. At least to pray. Oh, we get so disgusted with the sin. But we're there to reach the sinner. And buddy, they're all over the place. And yet still there are people who haven't heard. Shame on us. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.